Hi, welcome to Leadership with Randy. I'm Randy Powell. Today you're listening to Lessons on Leadership, our weekly conversation with inspiring people sharing some of the stories and lessons from their journey. Survival skills are fantastic because you learn a lot about yourself in the process. You learn what you're capable of and you learn to live in relative discomfort. And when you have an understanding of relative discomfort, you learn to appreciate the little things in life. Our adventure today takes us out to speak with Kevin Estela, a survival expert and the author of 101 Skills You Need to Survive in the Woods, plus over 150 articles that have been published. Kevin discusses the influences in his early life and the survival skills that have been passed down for generations. Kevin's the director of training for Fieldcraft Survival, where he leads a number of classes that help build our resilience and preparedness to take on the unexpected challenges of life. Now let's go talk with Kevin. All right. Good morning. It's awesome to be together again and excited to spend time with uh, Kevin Estela with Fieldcraft Survival. Kevin is the author of 101 Skills You Need to Survive in the Woods, which is as much a book about mindset to me as it is about the woods. (laughs) So for a lot of people on here who might think, well, I'm not going to go hang out in the woods for three days stranded, uh, there's still a lot of valuable mindset wisdom in here that that I thought was interesting. And especially these days, we do see a lot of situations with the, the ice storm in Texas. You've got the hurricane now in Louisiana. Folks do need to know how to make it sometimes on their own. Our, uh, our easy lifestyle isn't always easy. Sometimes there are uh, unplanned tough days, but I want to get into a lot of the mindset piece of just preparing yourself to be resilient and have grit and determination and and be prepared and be ready as you talk about it in the book, because I think that could really help us in so many aspects of, of life, whether it be work or family or community or whatever. But why don't we go back even further to uh, just how you grew up, where you grew up, where did you learn this uh, resilient mindset that you've carried along and turned into uh, teaching survival. Yeah, sure thing. Um, <clears throat> so, first off, thanks for for having me. Uh, you know, I know that I'm probably the unorthodox presenter. You know, with what I'll be talking about, but you'll find that so much of what I'm going to be presenting, you will find there are common concepts that can be applied from the great outdoors to the corporate, you know, a meeting room to a classroom and all points in between. Um, as far as my background, I grew up in Connecticut. You know, I was born in uh, into a family. You know, where my father was a physician, my mother was my my father's office manager. I've got two older sisters, and uh, you know, when I was a little kid, you know, it was always a lot of fun to you know, with a parents that worked in home and office to leave the house, sneak into my dad's office, steal tongue depressors and end up using them to build, you know, little bridges for my, my GI Joes in the backyard. So there was always this uh, emphasis on being creative and being imaginative and whatnot. Well, you could uh, imagine when your dad starts telling you stories about growing up in the jungle, you're like, oh, what does that really mean? And, you know, with popular images like Tarzan, you imagine your dad running around with a loincloth and swimming, swinging from vines. And for a while, you're kind of like, there's no way that that's how he lived. But then he starts telling you more details as you're getting older and, and more mature 
about how when the Japanese Imperial Army in 1941 decided to invade the Philippines, that it would have been a smarter idea to leave the house. In popular terms, it's called bugging out. Bug out from your home and run to the jungle and live in the jungle until the army is no longer a threat, which was in August of 1945. Well, my dad was only two years old when my grandfather moved him, his brothers, and some of the people in the town to the jungle. And he lived there until 1945, so he was six years old when he left. Now, imagine you're a little kid and you're hearing stories of your father living literally inside of a cave, uh, going out at night, hunting and fishing with a lantern, providing for the family, evading the Japanese. And you guys can tell me if that would make you want to pursue survival studies or want to play video games. I chose the, you know, the survival studies. So as a little kid, my dad encouraged me to to learn how to hunt, how to fish. Uh, he took me hiking at a young age. Um, as a little kid, it was always, you know, uh, there was always this idea of, okay, uh, what would you do if, right? We always played the what if game, which is not necessarily always something that you have to do in bad circumstances. You can do the what ifs uh, for, for, you know, good circumstances too, right? Like the you know, what's the most probable course of action, what's the most uh, dangerous course of action and so forth, right? Like, what if this, what if that? Um, continuing on with my, my childhood and my youth, I mean, all throughout high school, I was, I was athletic, I was uh, a track guy. Um, I learned canoeing and kayaking in my early teens, and I spent many years as a canoeing and kayaking instructor. And somewhere along the line, the canoeing and kayaking kind of branched off into me teaching kids on week-long courses well hey this is how you do things around a campfire this is how you you know procure water and so forth and i was like wow i kind of actually like this stuff <laughs> flash forward to college and i went to fairfield university i got my undergraduate in uh or i should say my, my bachelor's in american studies minors in legal studies and politics and you know i was like okay well uh i'm gonna start working at an outdoor sporting goods store and then that way I can keep a car on campus because if you have a car on campus, I mean, you're, you're the top dog, right? You have the ability to drive around, go places, pick people up. Well, when I started working at Eastern Mountain Sports, I learned all the technical side of all the gear. I started taking rock climbing lessons, ice climbing lessons, mountaineering stuff. So I'm just furthering my, my knowledge, right? Broadening my base of understanding, which is important in all aspects of life. We only see a solution from one angle, then we only have a limited perspective. So it's important to, to, to kind of wear different hats and see how you can address the world. In my case, from say like a primitive survival aspect, a modern survival aspect, a military aspect and so forth. Um, shortly after college, uh, or I should say, coming up on the anniversary of 9-11, uh, about 20 years ago, I was ready to go to law school. 20 years ago, I, I said, I'm going to uh, go to this law school convention that happened to be on the top floor of the Twin Towers at the Windows of the World restaurant the Saturday after 9-11. And being at Fairfield University, when 9-11 hit, we could walk down to the beach where I was living and you could see the smoke plumes from 9-11. So we were very, very uncertain of what was going to happen with the rest of America's fate. And I was like, wow, I don't know if I want to interpret the law or enforce the law. And for a while, I contemplated doing federal law enforcement. I actually had 
interviews with the Boston DEA office. But with older parents and an elderly grandmother, I was like, I can't do a federal law enforcement job where my parents and my grandparents that normally would rely on me wouldn't see me for a year because I would be stationed abroad. Well, I decided to get my master's in uh, American studies at Trinity College. And while I was at Trinity, I left Eastern Mountain Sports, became a substitute teacher. And I was like, you know, let me just formalize my outdoors education. You know, in addition to all the, the training that I'm doing to become, you know, whatever I was thinking of becoming at the time with the master's, it was more like a stopgap, just waiting. I said, let me start taking classes with formal outdoor education schools. So I went to the Maine Primitive Skills School, Jack Mountain Bushcraft. I wanted to see if what my father and what all these folks I've been training with over the years had taught me was actually legitimate. And it turns out it was. April 2006, I drive down to North Carolina to a, a product testing weekend. And I meet my soon-to-be mentor, Marty Simon, and his wife, Aggie. And while I was down there, Marty's like, oh, you should come take my, my week-long survival class. So I decided that I would. And that year I took it and Marty started taking note that, wow, he knows the bow drill. Wow, he knows uh, all these knots. Wow, he like I could do things well. Throughout that August to the following year, uh, I'd go camping with Marty, his wife, all of our friends. And Marty would test me along the way. Hey, what's that plant? What's this plant? How do you tie this? Following summer, he says to me, uh, I want you to come up and take the basic class all over again. I'm like, I've already taken the basic class. And Marty's like, just get up here. I'm like, okay, you're my friend. I'm going to listen to you. So as he's going around introducing all the students, he goes, by the way, that's Kevin. He's my new instructor. And it was just like that. Um, so kind of trial by fire. Um, the rest after that, I mean, I taught there for many years. Uh, every every summer, it was a week on, a week off, or two weeks on, a week off. And I learned to be very resilient teaching up there because it was a six-hour drive. Uh, in retrospect, I wasn't paid very much, but it was helping me get my feet wet in the world of survival. At some point, some of the networks started noticing me, the History Channel, and I did some work with them. Uh, at some point, I started writing for magazines. Uh, to this day, I have about 160 published magazine articles to my name and 22 different magazine titles. And around the same time, I started working at the Wilderness Learning Center. I met the third most influential person in my life, uh, who is also one of the three people I dedicate my book to, and that's Chris Sayak, the founder of uh, the Filipino martial art Sayak Kali. Um, now, all these three stars aligned, my father, Marty, Chris Sayak, and that's what really brought all these different training ideas together into you know, who I am today. And there are so many commonalities uh, in terms of resilience and, and what uh, whatnot. Uh, and as far as the book is concerned, I didn't really know that I was gonna write a book until 2018 when a friend told me, hey, I want you to write this book. I'm gonna put you in touch with the publisher. And uh, the publisher said to me, he goes, or she said, uh, can you send me a table of contents? Now I'm driving up to Marty's and I'm on the highway. So I pull off to the rest stop and on my phone in a notepad doc, I'm, I'm doing the table of contents. I shoot it off. And by the time I get to Marty's, I get an email. We need a sample chapter. Um, now, I wrote that book. I gave him the sample chapter. I wrote the book from April to uh, July 1. So three months. And <clears throat> the following year, it was released. And 
you know, it it did really, really well in the first couple couple of years. Uh, and right now it's actually uh, ranked, I think, 1,200 out of all the books on Amazon. So in the top, let's say, one hundredth of one percent of all books on Amazon. So it's doing doing well. Um, but that's basically like my background. I mean, I, I, I've been training in uh, Filipino martial arts. I've been training the wilderness survival stuff. Oh, and I forgot to mention along the way, I, I worked as a public high school history teacher, which is the, the other side of my life. You know, I was living on one side, which was filled with guns, knives, uh, making traps, living off the land. And then I had a very soft side of me where I was teaching high school history for 14 years at Bristol Central High School. So that's a little bit of my background. Uh, I'm open to, to questions and I can keep going on just about anything you want you want to know. So Randall, where would you like me to Yeah, to take that's, that's an awesome journey. Um, if you have questions, uh, type in the chat or raise your hand. I'll uh, get you unmuted. Let's talk a little bit about just the mindset of preparedness. And there's a lot of people on here that have had, you know, surprises thrown their way. Uh, sometimes we, we are just prepared trial by fire, but, but you go into a fair bit of the mindset of readiness. Talk about, talk about readiness and, and being prepared for whatever life throws your way. Uh, so answer from Mike Kenny. Yes, I did work with Mike Douglas. Mike Douglas actually uh, wrote one of the recommendations for my book. Uh, yeah, he's, he's right there. So Mike Douglas is, is, uh, one of the guys that recommended me. Um, okay. So now as far, as far as the mindset and as far as what we can, we can take from say like a survival guy, um, this is where it gets a little bit more interesting. I always say my background story is just a background story. It doesn't necessarily apply to everyone, but this mindset talk will, um, mindset is the foundation of everything, right? Mindset drives you from the very, very beginning of the day. And I always start off my survival classes with this question. I always say to people, did you hit snooze on your alarm clock this morning? And I'll have the occasional person, usually younger generation say, oh my God, I slipped through my clock over and over and over. I'm like, you started your day with failure. And they don't like hearing that. Now, I've always been someone who shoots from the hip. I've always been someone who speaks their mind. If there's an uncomfortable moment when someone needs to say something, but no one is, I am that guy that's going to say, by the way, guys, how about this? And I don't mind being the one that, that breaks the tension. So if you hit snooze on your clock this morning, you started your day with failure. And your day can begin with failure or it can begin with success. You cannot in life say, well, I'm kind of successful. I'm kind of a failure. You are either one or the other. You cannot be both. And this is a binary formula. And perhaps one of the things that's the most, most popular things that I talk about with these mindset talks is something that was taught to me by Chris Syak, and I recently brought it up in a, in a podcast, and it's the concept of the 24-hour clone. Uh, I'll get to readiness in a second, but I want to, since we're already on the topic of success or failure, the 24-hour clone is a concept you have to assume that right now, magically, with stroke of a uh, of a magic pen, a wand, pixie dust, or whatever, we can clone every one of you the exact picture perfect clone, where you're not just a clone physically, but your clone has all the mental attributes, including your intelligence, all of the knowledge that you've obtained, everything. So there are two of you, 
right? Version A, version B, perfect clones. Now, what if I told you tonight you're going to compete against your clone, right? And that competition can be as simple as, I don't know, a foot race. But what if we take it to the extreme and we say, you're going to fight to the death and you have 24 hours to kill your clone? Well, it sounds a little crazy when you first think about it, but if you are not trying to improve from one day to the next, you are living a life that is a failure formula and not a success formula. Every single day, you need to kill your clone because every single night, once you kill your clone, you get cloned again. And then the, the challenge begins at midnight until the following midnight to become a better version of yourself all over again. Now, becoming a better version of yourself doesn't mean that you have to become stronger, right? Like literally stronger, being able to bench press more. You can read 10 pages in a book that you didn't read before. Guess what? You are now smarter than you were yesterday. You can increase the strength of the communities around you. You can bring someone into a dinner party that what you never knew before. And now you suddenly realize, wow, this person has all these different attributes and capabilities that can improve our group. Every single day, you should be working towards success. And if you're not, you need to be honest with yourself and say, I am a failure. Because that clone, it killed you that night. Um, you let yourself go stagnant. You didn't do anything. You're, you're stuck in neutral is a common term that's used. So I think that's something that you can apply every single day to the business world, every single day to the world that we operate in. I mean, you think about it, apply that, apply that to the way that you operate from one day to the next in terms of being ready for the day, the following day. You know, if you're the type of person that runs to the closet the morning of because that alarm clock goes off and now you're in reaction mode where you're behind the power curve, well, maybe the next night you lay out your clothes. Maybe the next night, even if it's not all of your clothes, you put your keys in the same spot so you're not looking for your keys. Do you have a key protocol, right? Because I know personally, if I need my keys, I know exactly where I'm going for them. I'm not wasting time. And something that I used to say to my high school history students all the time was, you guys should become more organized. And they're like, well, organization, all that. My, I'm not organized. I'm, I'm messy. I'm like, well, you're not efficient. And if you're not efficient, you're working harder than you have to. And if you're working harder than you have to, then you're not being as capable as you can be. And they did not like hearing that. Every single day, you can do something to became, become a better version of yourself. And by the way, that better version of yourself doesn't have to be your personal self where your coworkers know nothing about you. That better version of yourself can be the work side of you, right? Pamana on Chris Syak used to say, I wish I, I, uh, I wanna have multiple personalities. And we'd look at him at the dinner table and we're thinking, who wants multiple personalities? Like that's a, that's a, that's a, a, a mental problem there. And he's like, no, 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 no. I wanna have the dad personality. I want to have the fighter personality. I want to have the businessman personality. And we need to keep track of all those personalities and become a better version of each of those personalities from one day to the next. And as we take on more roles in our life, that becomes more and more challenging. But if you can manage a formula in one personality or one version of your life, you can definitely apply it to others. Okay. Randall was asking me about readiness. You've probably heard someone say, I was born ready. And they are 
most likely a lie. People say that they're born ready. They don't understand the true concept of readiness, right? Um, and I don't want to say that my phone's just falling over here. Hold on one second. I've got it propped up on my morning coffee. Hold on. You can tell that I'm more of a survival guy than I'm a tech guy. All right, there we go. So when people say that they were born ready, they don't understand the full concept of readiness. Most people say, oh, uh, be like a Boy Scout and be prepared. But preparedness is only one version of readiness. Readiness is composed of awareness, preparedness, and willingness. You have to have all three. If you only have two, you are not ready. And I'm going to illustrate that right now with a couple of examples. I want you to think of a person who is aware and prepared, but not willing. Now, let's start off with what awareness is. Awareness is having situational awareness. Awareness is being cognizant. Awareness is, is understanding and knowledge. Preparedness is physical training, mental reading. Um, it's carrying a certain equipment on you. A lot of people think, oh, I've got you know, a, a Swiss army knife in my pocket. I'm prepared. It's like, uh, you've got gear. You're not totally prepared. And willingness is dedication. Willingness shows your level of commitment to whatever you say you're going to do, right? Um, so now, people who are aware and prepared but not willing. Not too long ago, there was a school shooting where a police officer was that. Not too long ago, there was a school shooting where there was a police officer who stood outside of the school, and while the school was under attack by a coward who decided to shoot at the students, that police officer did not respond. The police officer definitely knew what was going on because we know he radioed in that there was a school shooting. We definitely know that he was prepared because he had his firearm on him. He chose to live the life of a coward. And I have no problem saying this in front of other law enforcement guys. I have a lot of cops that are friends because the truth hurts and the truth doesn't hide from questioning. He chose not to go into that school because he wasn't ready. And as a result, kids died. And now he has to live with that for the rest of his life. Now, there are people out there that are prepared and there are people out there that are prepared and willing, but they're not aware. And I want you to think of this one. Imagine the most incredible fighter you know, black belt in multiple arts. They decide to go out to a bar and get polluted. Well, when that person goes out to the bar and gets polluted, they go from black belt to brown belt, brown belt to purple, purple to blue. And as they get nearing to blackout state, they become a white belt. Well, that person is definitely not as conscious and aware of their surroundings. They're not ready to fight. How would you feel if you had the ability, if you had all the knowledge in the world, if you had all the gear in the world, and you decided that you were going to get polluted, get drunk, and now a family member dies because you can't respond, right? And often when I bring up these examples, I use the most extreme examples because at any time, life can throw extreme curveballs at you. And it's very, very easy. It's very weak to take the easy way out. But if we look at the most extreme examples, we can ask ourselves, are we working towards strength or are we working towards weakness? Well, that person who picks up the drink 
is accepting weakness with every single sip. Now, let's talk about my favorite example. The people who are aware and willing, but not prepared. Flight 93. We're coming up on the anniversary of 9-11. Every time I bring up the story, I always get goosebumps every single time. We know that those people on flight 93, we know that they were calling their loved ones saying, we're aware that planes are being used as, as weapons. We are doing what we can to wrap our arms with towels, to grab containers of hot coffee. We are doing what we can to get ready. And the most famous words from 9-11 from Flight 93 were, let's roll. In that moment, goosebumps. In that moment, those courageous passengers on Flight 93 took the fight to the terrorists. They became ready. And something that's mentioned in my book that my publisher did not like to hear, but I said, it's honest and it's real. Those passengers died a good death. Part of the way that you live your life should lead you to eventually dying well, right? Dying well is a concept. The passengers on Flight 93 died extremely well. They died courageously. They died in service of other people. A way to not die well is to take a whole bunch of medication because, you know, you, you decide that, you know, you're, you're in pain, you're going to mix it with some alcohol with your friends and you drowse off, right? You, you go to sleep, you drowse off, uh, you go to sleep and you, you crash into a tree. You crash into a tree because of foolishness. That's not dying well. Um, that, or even worse, you crash into a car with a mother and their children. Now, there is something that my publisher didn't like. They're like, well, why are you talking about dying in a survival? Because even in a survival situation, you can decide your outcome. When my father and my grandfather and the family in the town lived in the jungle from 40, 41 to 45, they had an expression they lived by, and it was to the last drop. To the last drop means you don't give up until the last drop of blood is out of your body. You don't give up. There is no such thing. Uh, that's part of grittiness. That's part of resilience. That's the way that my dad taught me as a little kid. He's like, you don't have to be the fastest. You don't have to be the strongest, but make sure you finish, right? Make sure that you, you always, you always fall through um, because you're going to be measured by that. So that's really part of the, the mindset component to these survival skills. And I want you to understand that the readiness formula doesn't just apply to survival. So let's apply it to survival for a second, and then I'm going to apply it to any example you give. If I'm going backpacking, I need to know, all right, where am I going? How many miles am I covering? How many people are in my group? How many meals do I need to prepare? What's the weather forecast look like? Am I physically fit enough to, tra to travel with a 30-pound backpack? I need, there's so many variables of awareness. Preparedness, maybe I go in my backyard, I set up my tent, maybe I pack all my food, maybe I carry a Swiss Army knife and I carry a fixed blade knife because Swiss Army knives are pre-broken knives pinned back together. That's pre all preparedness. And my willingness, right? My willingness is 
am I willing to go to this location even if it's raining, right? A lot of people will be fair weather outdoors, men and women, and what they'll do is they'll simply, uh, you know, say, oh, it's, it's kind of cloudy. Uh, let's wait for a better day, and they're not going to go out. Well, that same type of readiness I can apply to backpacking, I can apply to a kid taking a test. Chances are you've all been through high school, you've all been through college. Um, awareness. You probably recall the kid in high school who said, wait, wait, we have a test today? And they have no clue what's even going on. They don't have awareness, therefore they are not prepared. I'm sorry, they're not ready. You probably know someone who has shown up to a test and forgotten a pen or a pencil. I can't tell you how many times as a high school teacher, kids showed up to my class with a five or $600 phone, $300 outfit. And they're like, I don't have a pencil. And I'm like, you failed. Um, not failed on the test, but I had no qualms about telling them that they failed in being ready for a test because they need to hear that. Um, and you probably, you probably have seen a kid in high school, probably recall a kid who, even though they studied, even though they have the pen, they have the crib sheet, whatever it is, when they get the test and they know they can do it, they're just like, I'm not taking this. And they crumple it up and they throw it away. Uh, they're not willing and they're going to fail. As you're going to see, readiness ties directly to success and failure. And if you apply the readiness formula from one day to the next, then it allows you to be more successful from one day to the next. Something that you have to incorporate with the readiness formula is the concept of honesty. And <clears throat> this is usually true of guys who are like around my age, right? Like early 40s, um, <clears throat> guys who maybe they, <clears throat> excuse me, maybe they're sporting the dad bod. Maybe they are uh, living their glory days from high school. They still wear their letterman's jacket, you know, varsity letter. Well, how many people do you know say, well, well, I've done that before. Oh yeah, I, I've done that before. Like 20 years ago, I could do that. 20 years ago, that's awesome. What about right now? Uh, if you could run a five minute mile in high school and you're preparing for a foot race right now, 20 years ago is not gonna help you. What did you do yesterday? Um, if you're not honestly evaluating yourself and your kit, then you're not ready. Um, I know plenty of guys, plenty of gals who, I mean, through field craft, right? We, we teach a lot of different things who say, well, I'm gonna carry a gun and you know, I'm going to, I'll, I'll be okay. <clears throat> it's like, all right, you purchased it. What is the level of your formal training? And do you think you're going to rise to the occasion or fall back to the lowest level of training that you have? That can be applied anywhere, right? Um, read over this document before you give that presentation tomorrow. Oh, I've seen this document before. Don't worry, I'll be good. Have you done a dry run? Have you looked at yourself in the mirror? Have you recorded yourself for time? So when you present, you have an accurate measure of how quickly you need to deliver or are you just gonna wing it? Because if you're winging it, you're relying on hope. And please remember this expression, everyone. Hope is not a plan. When someone says, oh, I hope I'm gonna make a million dollars. That's great. What's your plan? Right. And the difference between achieving a goal and a dream is that dreams rely on hope 
whereas a goal relies on a plan, right? So now what I'm going to say, and this will be the last thing I say, and then I'll answer some questions. Uh, I'm not sure how long you want me to go. Uh, a lot of people say, well, why should I take survival skills? Why should I, why should I do something difficult? Because life is all about relativity. As someone who enjoys grappling, right, I, I'm a purple belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, I look forward to my weekly training where someone is going to try to either break my arm, my ankle, or choke me out until I'm unconscious. I look forward to that because imagine as a high school history teacher, when I walk into a meeting where someone says, hey, you have to take all the student data and you have to take all the student data and put it into this form. Oh my God, it's gonna be really, really hard. And I'm like, you're calling that hard? When, when people say, I have so much work to do, are you throwing bales of hay onto the back of a truck in a hundred degree field where the grass is retaining extra heat and now it feels like 120 with the heat index and you're doing this for eight hours a day? Because I consider that work. By the way, I've never done that. Uh, so I rarely will say that this is really hard work. When people say I have a lot of hard work to do, they don't understand what hard is. Okay, so survival skills are fantastic because you learn a lot about yourself in the process. You learn what you're capable of and you learn to live in relative discomfort. And when you have an understanding of relative discomfort, you learn to appreciate the little things in life, like instant hot water when I turn on my faucet. You learn to appreciate what it sounds like when you close the door to your bedroom at night and you don't have to hear mosquitoes flying around you or you don't have to hear a little mouse crawl across your chest because that will happen when you sleep in a natural shelter. The more skills that you acquire, the more ready you become in a lot of different ways. You become very aware. You start recognizing concepts that are overarching. You start developing your physical capability and you'll find that there's a direct correlation between how physically capable you are uh, and how good your life is, right? If you're, your self-esteem will be improved if you try to lose, say, five pounds, right? And you become more fit or maybe gain five pounds of muscle. Um, ultimately, the survival skills give you a metric that you can measure everything else in your life by, right? You can say, this isn't hard. Remember that time that we had to build that fire? It was in the rain and we wanted to give up and we didn't give up. That was hard. You start seeing the world through a different shade of lenses that, that you wear in your eyeglasses. So uh, I would say that the survival skills definitely give you a new way of seeing yourself. But guys, I'm going to leave you with one question and then I'll take some, take some questions of myself. Um, what is the greatest one word compliment a person could give you? And maybe it's a word that you've heard me say. Maybe it's a word that you have in your head. But that should be your immediate goal in life. You should be working towards that one word, ultimate compliment. For some of you, it might be intelligent. That person is intelligent. For some of you, that greatest one word compliment might be handsome or sexy or whatever you want to say. I don't care. Uh, every one of you is going to be different. But what is the one word that you want people to say about you if all other words don't matter, right? If you could only, only be described by one word, would you want that word to be reliable, 
Would you want that word to be strong? I'll tell you that amongst my friends, and these are the guys that you'll see on, on the back of the book, right? Like Patrick Rollins, another survival instructor, Kyle DeFore, former SEAL. Um, you know, among my friends, one of the greatest compliments you can give someone is capable, right? That person can get it done. Because what's the opposite? If you're not capable, you're not getting it done. And if you are not getting it done, you're more of a liability than you are an asset. So you'll notice that I speak in a lot of binary terms. I speak in either it is or it isn't, asset, liability, because the comfortable way of living is saying, uh, I don't know. The comfortable way of living is saying, kind of. Comfort has no place in the world. Uh, not when we're talking about capability, not when we're talking about uh, how you want to be remembered. If you are deliberately choosing to avoid difficult conversations, then you're setting yourself up for failure again. And ultimately, I want you guys to become successful. Um, when you walk in the door, do people say, oh, damn, there they are. There's Mr. Capable or Mrs. Capable. Or do they say, oh, oh, damn, as in this person is now going to weigh us down. So uh, I didn't even get into any of the technical stuff about the survival skills. I didn't talk about how when people throw away like an attempt on the bow drill, I say, do you throw away other problems in your life? We didn't talk about the knots and how you can be more resourceful than just carry a bunch of resources. Uh, I'll simply say this, I don't run out of material. And if you read this book just for the technical side and you don't see it for the, the cognitive side, then you're only reading it from one perspective. So I hope this answers some of your questions or I hope, Randall, this is what you're looking for, but uh, I'm more than happy to, to continue talking about anything or answering any questions at this point. That's awesome, Kevin. I, I can tell you like to push people to be uncomfortable. Which in the, nicest way, in the nicest way. And, and here's the other thing. And it's a very important thing. I will never push a person to do something that I haven't done or I will not do with them right then and there. When someone says, well, I can't, I can't run a mile. I'll be like, I'm running right there next to you. Right. I'm going to do that with you. Or how do you do that? Oh, I, I, like, I, I can't do that. Then guess what? I'm going to put away my instructor hat and I'm going to be, I'm going to put on my student hat and I will do it with you side by side. Um, because you have to lead by example. And, you know, Pamana Tuhan would always say, uh, true friends don't stand behind you. They stand alongside you. Because if you have a friend that's walking towards danger, you don't use them as a shield. You force multiply, you stand side by side. I think Steve wants to talk a bit about resilience as a business leader. Yeah. Wow, Randy, <laughs> you constantly amaze me with your fantastic uh, guests. Uh, Kevin, uh, I'm uh, blown away by your enthusiasm. You never mentioned that uh, throughout your presentation, and it's uh, your passion is uh, is electric. I, I bought your book, so well, thank you. I, I do audio books. So, and I'm going to get a hard copy as well. Hey, well, 
you may you probably already answered my question, but I would I hope that you could like pour yourself into a bottle. I'd like to have a couple dozen bottles and pass <laughs> them around to all my friends. <laughs> you know, in the world of business, uh, leadership, culture, strategic planning are things that we can control or have some influence over. Uh, but COVID and uh, the uncertainties that trade wars with uh, China and other countries uh, create for business owners are things outside of our direct control. And resilience, which you, uh, it, it you're passionate about, is a critical thing that I want uh, to hear more from you on applied to business leadership. Uh, I think you've already answered a lot of that, but if you have something to add, uh, I'm all ears. Well, I think part of, part of resilience and, and part of leadership and, and developing culture is crushing and absolutely, absolutely just blocking any negativity, right? And it's very, very easy to allow that toxicity to make its way into the workplace. As a teacher, when we were going from distance, uh, from in-person to distance learning, there were so many teachers that set their kids up for failure by their own demeanor and their own uh, take on, oh my gosh, I have to learn how to use a computer. I'll never be able to do this. You've got 20 kids in the crowd or in the classroom that are now listening to a teacher talking about failure. And now those 20 kids, they have not bought into the product because they don't even believe their leader. They don't even believe the person that's leading them through the curriculum. There is an expression, and I believe in this one 100%. Culture is what you tolerate. If you tolerate people saying, oh my God, COVID is going to shut us down. COVID is going to do this and that. Stop. Stop right now. Come to me with a solution. Do not come to me with complaints. Because all you're doing with the complaining is you're adding poison to the well. And if we're all drinking from this well, then we're all going to fail. Right. So I think what's really important and it, it's and, and let's face it, there are businesses that succeeded. There are businesses that failed. And we saw that the folks who did really well during the first round of, of the pandemic were those that diversified or looked outside of the box. Right. We saw businesses setting up outside shelters so they didn't have to do inside dining and they got by. Uh, maybe they had to ask their their employees or their 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 workers hey, you're going to have to work a few longer hours to do this, or we're going to have to work on a skeleton ship, but they got by. But I also know that there were plenty of businesses that complained. There were plenty of businesses that waited on someone else to help them as opposed to helping themselves, which works completely counter to the concept of self-reliance. You cannot wait for others to help you. You have to take the initiative. Um, so what I would say is in terms of resilience for the business owner or the professional, you cannot let, even though it's, we know it's going to be there, you, you cannot let people in the moment ruin the atmosphere of the workplace. There is a time and a place for that. That's the whole reason for happy hours, right? Like let people, let people gather, uh, maybe have a drink, right? One drink is social, two or three drinks. That's inviting weakness. Um, let people let people 
work together. Um, but I would not say that I would let people talk about things in front of anyone that is a potential influencer, client, or whatever. Um, and just remember that culture is what you tolerate. We talked a second ago about um, forcing people to be uncomfortable, but there's there's growth that comes from being uncomfortable. And I know one of the things you've done is this 72-hour challenge where you're plopped into the woods with all you can hold in a one-quart bag and you have to survive for three days. That seems fairly uncomfortable for most people. <laughs> what, what have you learned from that process? <laughs> yeah, that was, that was one of those things where, uh, you know, my boss is, is a good friend uh, and he, he likes doing these things very spontaneously. So we're in a, we're in a board meeting for our, our team meeting with all like the department heads. And he goes, Kevin Estella, one quart bag, 72 hours in the desert, going to be amazing you're going to do it and i'm like thanks mike that's awesome like i know i can do it i don't want to do it um so i had to go to the the high desert of spanish war high desert uh and desert conditions are characterized by a massive temperature swing so it was 110 uh like triple digits most of the days and then it was in the low 60s and 50s at night right so massive temperature swing well it was all i could fit inside of a one quart bag which is about this size right here. Um, when Mike said, he's like, oh, one bag. I'm like, okay. I bring out a gallon Ziploc bag. He goes, no, one quart. So it meant me looking at my problem. Okay, I had the biggest problem in the desert. My phone again. The biggest problem in the desert is dealing with the heat, right? Dealing with the heat, dealing with the exposure. Um, not so much the food, right? Now, I did catch fish when I was out there. I made a cane pole. I made fish traps. I do have a pretty extensive edible and medicinal plants knowledge through, through Marty's, you know, tutelage over the years. But uh, the, the biggest problem for me was dealing with the moment that the sun came up and the moment it went down, right? So I looked at my problem very logically. I said, all right, sun's coming up at 7 a.m. It's going down at 8.30 at night. The highest points of the day are between 10 and 3 o'clock. Every day between 10 and three, I took a siesta. I went to my shelter and I slept. I did most of my sleeping during the day. Um, early in the morning, I collected my water. Uh, in the evening, I, I fished. And I, I'm, a, I'm a fisherman, I love fishing. So I actually didn't mind that. And the again, one of the greatest compliments is being called capable. When I got back to the headquarters on the final day, uh, one of my coworkers said to me, he goes, Kevin, you didn't even look challenged. You looked inconvenienced. And I was like, I will take that. And Mike, my own, uh, my, my boss was like, he goes, I should have extended another 24 hours. He's like, you look like you're ready to run a marathon. I'm like, I'm like I just, I, I knew what my problem was. I didn't let my emotions get to me. Um, the biggest threat to my well-being over there was boredom. Um, because even though I slept from 10 to 3 every single day, where I tried to sleep from 10 to three. There were times I woke up and it was hot in my shelter and I was just sitting there. I'm like, well, what do I do? I couldn't bring a book. I couldn't do anything really for entertainment. And I think that's an important uh, lesson too. And something that, I mean, even Stephen Covey brought it up in Seven Habits. You need to sharpen the saw. Well, you can't sharpen the saw. You can't entertain yourself, enjoy yourself when you're just, the minute that you put your arm outside of your shelter, it's 20 degrees warmer. 
um, because the shade is providing a 20 degree, 15 to 20 degrees cooler break. Um, so what did I learn from that? You learn, uh, just like I mentioned, what you can live with and what you can live without. Um, I was drinking from a Reynolds oven bag that I use as a water container with water purification tablets, right? I didn't even have a water bottle. Um, I learned that I could do everything with a little Swiss army knife, which I already knew. It's the reason I carry a Swiss army knife in my right front pocket every day and a lighter in my left pocket. Um, I learned that Cholula is amazing seasoning and I put that on edible plants. It makes the plants even better. So it's kind of like having a little salad. Uh, Again, my, my friends laughed when I, I made chopsticks and I did a charcuterie board and they're like, you had a salad and fish and you were eating with chopsticks with chalupa. They're like, yeah, you really roughed it. But, but again, the more you know, the less you carry. And if you have a few good resources, you can become very, very resourceful. Are people naturally resilient or can they train themselves and coach themselves and develop this resilience and this preparedness? Oh, wow. That's, that's philosophical right there. Are we, uh, are we naturally good? Naturally bad? I would say the naturally bad, uh, you know, definitely are, are very resilient, but, uh, <laughs> I think we, as a society, we have drawn closer to comfort than discomfort. Um, I recently read the book, the comfort crisis, phenomenal, phenomenal book. And I think naturally Every, every animal has the will to survive, but I think we deliberately choose weakness because it's easy and there's no lesson there. Uh, one of my good friends talks about the concept of pressure and how pressure is what's needed for growth, right? You can definitely build resilience. You can definitely build this, this mindset. You can, you can harden yourself um, by doing difficult things. So I would say for sure that even though we have this, we have this natural state of resilience, we, we, we want to be strong. Society's throwing us these easy pitches like, oh, hey, why don't you try it this way? It's the easy way of doing it. And trust me, there are some things like I would rather buy a t-shirt from a store than spin my own yarn. There are things that make sense, but there are certain opportunities that you should not pass up if it gives you a chance to become a better version of you, right? Um, don't avoid hard conversations with people. Have them. Um, don't get personal in your attacks. Attack the argument, but don't avoid uh, don't avoid hard conversations. If you have a chance to do something physical that will make you better, do it. When you when you're at the restaurant and they're like, "Would you like to see the dessert menu?" If you're out with your spouse, instead of both of you getting the dessert, split it right? You're still enjoying something that's a reward, but you're not choosing the weakness of eating. And, and trust me, I'm guilty of this every once in a while. Uh, you're not eating the entire slab of cheesecake, right? Um, that's my weakness, by the way, cheesecake. So if you guys want to send me something, just send me cheesecake. Um, so what I would say is, is that, yeah, you have all these opportunities, right? We are naturally resilient. Society doesn't want us to be resilient because they're throwing us curveballs. Um, but you guys have the opportunities. You just have to take them. And guess what? Taking that opportunity is where willingness comes in. Can people, should people be preparing themselves? 
uh, for lack of comfort, just even in their own home. We've seen several times, even this year, where people lose power. And so we're used to the refrigerators cold and the lights come on and the plumbing works. And But we've seen quite a few news stories, even this year, where that wasn't the case. How do people take these skills and just prepare better for home? Okay. So to prepare better for home, I'm going to say prepare better as a person to begin with, right? We live in different domains. We have the self, we have our person, we have our workplace, we have our vehicle, we have the home. Um, every single day, you're, you're talking about power outages. I never leave home without a little flashlight. I cannot see in the dark. Until I can, I can see in the dark, until you know, those gamma rays from outer space or my exposure to you know, nuclear waste doesn't turn me as cool as Spider-Man, but I get these giant eyes that allow me to see in the dark. I will carry a flashlight. And people are like, well, what are you, afraid of the dark? I'm like, no, I know that even in a building in the middle of the day, it can turn to night. And my flashlight I use almost every single day. Um, I'll, if I'm looking for my, my, uh, my remote control, right, because it always ends up in the couch, um, it's a lot easier to find it when you have more light than when you don't have light. So how can people better prepare? Take care of yourself first. Carry a tourniquet. Uh, carry... Uh, a Swiss Army knife, carry a flashlight. Guess what? You probably have better preparedness than 90% of the population. Always keep your cell phone charged. If, you're, if your vehicle's tank drops below a half tank, get it filled. Don't wait for that light to go on. Don't wait for it to go to quarter tank. Develop a half tank habit. Um, there are so many little things we can do every single day. And you don't have to create this 100 item list punch list and accomplish them overnight. But remember, if you're doing this from one day to the next, you're killing your clone. You are making yourself a better version and you're becoming uh, more ready from one day to the next by doing these little incremental steps that don't seem like much. But with a good habit, it's going to be hard to break. I mean, you probably know plenty of smokers that can't break the habit because habits are hard to break. But if you have a good habit, it'll be equally hard to break and it will actually do something good for you. The uh, the website is fieldcraftsurvival.com. Is that correct? Yeah. Fieldcraftsurvival.com. Folks can go there and learn more about your work and your team. Absolutely. And they can also order the book there and from their bookseller. Mm -hmm. Steve's already ordered it. So <laughs> he will be uh, prepared. He'll have his flashlight and everything here before we know it. <laughs> Well, I appreciate it, Kevin. It's an awesome conversation. It's uh, uh, very challenging. And uh, yeah, comfort crisis. I read that. It's, it's another one along those lines about uh, improving yourself by challenging yourself to be uncomfortable. It's a really interesting book. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. And, uh, and I definitely, definitely have a, a short list of books I recommend, and that's quickly rising to the top. Yeah. Well, thanks a lot, Kevin. I appreciate you spending time with us. This was great. Yeah, thank you, everyone, for having me. And if you guys have any questions, you can email me at uh, Estella at fieldcraftsurvival.com. I answer every single email, uh, every single message on Instagram. Uh, if it's not the longest message on Instagram, it's because I don't like typing lots of stuff on my phone. But if you email me, you'll get a, a more genuine response, uh, and I'll, I will get to every one of them. Awesome. Well, have a great weekend and look forward to uh, seeing you again. Yeah. Thanks so much. Take care. All right. Thanks everyone. Bye.